Hi farm fans, it's Sean Mercer from My Rural Tribe. Really excited to bring you this week's podcast where I speak to Suzanne and Shay from Seaview Farms in Northern Ireland who are 18 months into their regenerative agriculture story. I was so inspired by these two. They've got such passion and drive for what they're doing and love and enthusiasm for all things regenerative agriculture and also an overwhelming love for the dung beetle. They are wanting to regenerate the farm environment that they're farming on and also producing nutrient-rich food. So let's crack on and I hope you will be as inspired as I was by these two. Okay, so today I am here, I'm talking to Suzanne and Shay and they're in uh, Northern Ireland, is that correct? Yes. And they are Seaview Farm and they are regenerative farmers. So welcome. Uh, thank you for joining me for this uh, conversation and uh, yeah how are you guys are you well yeah we're very good thank you good, thank you have you had Happy a day out on the farm today yeah yeah it's been actually really nice weather today yeah a pleasant a pleasant change is it uh is it pretty um are you so where are you in northern ireland again county antrim north oh north coast so yeah, yeah that's it's stunning up there absolutely mm. stunning yeah but it does help whenever the sun shines. Yeah, because you've got the uh, the North Sea then, have you? Or the yes. coming straight in at you, have you? Yeah, and I did a bit of a day trip um, with work. I took a little day holiday and went all along the North Coast and it was yeah. absolutely, yeah, just mind-blowingly beautiful. Yes. I hadn't sort of realised how gorgeous it was. On a, on a nice day, you can see Scotland from the fields. Oh, you, you, so that's your sort of view yeah. that way, yeah, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. what's the the island that you can see that sticks out that you'd? Uh, Rathlin Island. Yes, I think that was it. I think. So it, would be, it would be a bit further along. We kind of look a bit more north. Oh, okay. And the Scaries are smaller islands. You can see the Scaries from our farm. Oh yeah. On a good day. Oh wow. No, I just I was yeah absolutely blown away away by it all. So um. How long have you been in farming for? Well, we both grew up on farms all our lives, um, kind of more conventional agriculture. Um, but we've been involved in regenerative farming um, probably just over a year, maybe just over yeah, 18, eighteen months. Eighteen months, yes, from that. Okay, so how how did your journey start then? Because I know that you both went off to university and did different things. You didn't go into into agriculture as such. Mm-hmm. So how did your sort of occupational therapy and law degrees get you back to County Antrim and onto farming? Um, I think from my perspective, um, I I left home, uh, but whenever we were growing up, I was a conventional dairy farm and I still um, live on the farm. Um, but you know it was such a way of life and then I left and I always wanted to come back and be a bit more involved in outdoor life and things and then the regenerative part of it came from a more health perspective and a more and um, like I, I did a master's in uh, human animal interaction and just the different interactions that you can have with animals that I think we sometimes take for granted and we don't necessarily nourish in conventional farming um, and um, so I really enjoyed learning about that and as part of my master's and then, and then that's what made me want to put it into practice um, with the regenerative farming um, and also like the connection with nature and just that more like slow pace was my perspective. But then. Well, it, 
kind of all started for me um, listening to a few podcasts and reading some books by a very well-known farmer in the space uh, called Joel Saladin from Polyface Farms, I think in Virginia. Um, and he, he's written quite a few books, you know, um, on the topic and kind of like somewhere like how-to guides almost. Um, bit coming from a farm, um, I'm wanting to try this kind of somewhat novel approach. Um, it was difficult just because the capital infrastructure involved in starting farming is very, very high. Yeah. Um, but what kind of one of my first or one of the first things that drew me to regenerative agriculture was, you know, if managed correctly, um, the startup costs could be a lot lower. All you really need is, you know, the grass and the animals. There's no need for lots of expensive equipment or expensive purchase feed, although you do offset the cost of the feed by more intensive management. Um, and that was a much more attractive option to me than, you know, starting out with, uh, massive debt really in, yeah. in, uh, in a farming enterprise yeah so how how have you like are you farming on one of the family farms or have you got your own sort of tenancy how's that working uh, we're basically farming part of the family farm for now um, and because um, we're really we're really enjoying it we're looking at getting our own um, making our own kind of investment or tenants we would rather yeah, well, but, well, yeah, or the majority of our operation is based on a on an offshoot of, of Susan's family farm. Um, I've rented a, a small piece of ground near me as well for okay. it's the it's the beef operation at the minute where the hundred percent grass fed grass finished beef is taking place. They're not ready yet. They grow a lot slower than obviously the pigs do. The pigs are much quicker turnaround. Yeah, uh, the pigs are situated there and they're in Portrush. Excellent. So, um, so you've talked about like the idea of the regenerative, but what actually sort of you know, what was the the crux of it? What made you sort of come home and think, right, this has got to be it? Well, for me, it was it was the it's 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 kind of hard to explain, but it's the immediate kind of change you see. Um, so, for example, you know. The few figures we've worked on so far, um, they've been farmed conventionally for a long time. And, and the thing that I noticed the quickest uh, turnaround, let's say, in, is the is the, is the high density uh, grazing that we do. Um, so we have of a, of a large number of animals in a small area for a very short period of time, and they move, oh, yeah. you know, fairly fast across the field, mimicking the you know the ancient herds of whatever would have been there you know before we got here so in north america they always say making the bison but in the uk and ireland it was probably you know large herds of deer yeah um there were there i can't remember the name of the deer species but there was a deer species in ireland i believe that was far bigger than the uh the american moose oh wow giant Irish deer, I can't remember the name of it, but something along those lines. Um, so yeah, they, and being chased by whatever predator it was, they were constantly on the move, and that's what built the topsoil and, and, and the rich soils that we once had here, that tillage and ploughing and overgrazing over the last couple of hundred years has 
done a very efficient job at destroying. So seeing the, you know, first of all, the dung beetles come back. Yeah. I have an unhealthy obsession <laughs> seeing dung beetles. It's amazing because the first the first pass we do run down a field, there's nothing. The 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 biodegrading of of the of the dung piles is very slow and the regrowth is very slow, but once that engine turns on and that yeah. life starts to come back again, primarily through the gut, you know, microbes of the ruminant animal, um, it starts to pick up very quickly. And you see then the second pass, the grass is greener, the dung beetles are back. There is a mass of uh, tree swallows following mm-hmm. the cow herd, eating the flies that would have been on the dung. It's that kind of life. That yeah, started with. very exciting for me. I can see in your face. You're so it is, yeah. and it's like it's you can see that passion, which is amazing. And um, yeah. I mean, I've uh, I've been working for a company that is very much involved uh, with rotational grazing, supplying the kit and stuff. And so I've been to quite a few farms with the rotational grazing and things. And yeah. I just think it's amazing. You, you know, the grass you can see growing and it's green. But just hear you saying about like even that the microbiomes of the gut of the cow. Very similar to the microbes in the soil, yeah. And the effect of that, that's the first time. And it's sort of like, because I, um, again, there's so much in the, um, you know, you read these days about human gut health and how it's yeah. like the first brain and la, la, la. But until you just said it, I'd never sort of thought the same for the cow or, you know, the animal. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the effect well, that has. It's an extremely powerful yet delicate system. Yes. Um, a lot of, a lot of, Farmers won't get the benefit of that because of all the kind of um, regular drenches that they may need to use. Um, the various petroleum-based products that do a very effective job of killing internal parasites in the uh, in the cow, but they also transfer through the fecal matter into the soil and they'll kill the soil. Of course, life. yeah. So kind of a you know, but again, back to what we do: the moving the livestock every day or sometimes even twice a day right. means that they never get down to that bottom part of the grass plant where all the with heavy uh, parasite load is they're only taking the top you know 60 percent max of the grass so that bottom bit's left standing or it's trampled oh okay organic matter to feed the worms that then grow the grass for the next rotation so how long are you letting your grass grow to and, and what is in that grass lay as well uh, we try to encourage as much diversity as possible. Um, we typically uh, are resting our fees because we're coming out of a very intensive overgrazing situation to this, you know, we're only, this is our first year in it. Um, we're typically anywhere from 60 to 90 plus days rest. Oh, we're wow. A, yeah, it's quite a long rest period. They're only on a given area for, as I say, a maximum 24 hours. Sometimes I'll even move them twice a day. Um, and we've overseeded our paddocks with uh, three different clover species, red, white, and uh, a few um, annual cereals. To, you know, there was uh, barley and rye, um, mustard, forage rape, lots of uh, hairy veg um, my one of my resource concerns here on the farm is uh, compaction yeah so we're trying to introduce species with uh, large tap roots and 
uh, fibrous root systems to break up the compaction and allow air into the system again. Yeah. Um, so as well as that, we've added in some things like uh, daikon radish. Some daikon radish in the vetch. The vetch will hopefully sequester nitrogen. The radish will store it and break up the compaction. And then as it decomposes over the winter, it'll then feed nitrogen to the new crop that comes in the springtime. Right, cool. Um, what was the third? Uh, you just broke up when you mentioned the third clover. So, so I've got red, white and... Crimson. Crim oh, crimson. Oh, I didn't realise yeah. there was one. Okay. Very, very nice flower. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very yeah. yeah. So all uh, looking at the soil health and the deep rooting and, you know, collecting the nitrogen yeah. and everything. Yeah, another one of the, the, the big names in this space is a guy called Greg Judy. Again, most of the guys that I'm going to talk about are all from North America. Greg Judy is a, is a farmer in uh, Missouri, I think, that kind of area. But he, he says that when he first started out, he was a cattle farmer. And the more he got into the whole thing, he, then he called himself a grass farmer. But now, having a very, very good understanding of the natural processes and biomimicry, he now calls himself a micro farmer. Oh, and that's right. what I'm trying to be. Is a I farm the microbes, and the cattle are more or less the combine that harvest the crops that the microbes produce. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. It's uh, it's fascinating, and just seeing like you know, you're obviously so passionate about it. Yeah. Did you sort of start your journey together, or did one encourage the other, or was it sort of like a mutual? No, oh, it was pretty mutual. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I do. I do love. I love research. I love evidence-based things. And um, but I mean, you do need to be careful with your evidence that you're reading and you know what who has funded the evidence and things. And mm. that's something that um, I I I love the thought of producing really sound evidence. And like from my perspective, I would love to be able to um, so like all the information that Shay has is from North America, and so really what we're doing um so what we're doing with the soils here we know there's lots of compaction and things and that's what we need to do but there's not necessarily the evidence there to to back it up or to say that what we're doing is really the right thing for our soils in this geographical area so i think um i would love to get like a bit more into like the research thing and take lots of measurements and stuff yeah um, oh, that sounds like again like just adding that extra layer to it isn't it because Sadly, there's always going to be the people like, oh, no, it's not right, it doesn't work. But if you can actually show the evidence and, you know, and even use that to be even writing your own book to inspire other people or, you know, putting information together, isn't it? It just um, just helps, doesn't it? And to share your story and get more people passionate about it. Yeah, exactly. And we, I mean, we are in a very nice position where uh, we are only starting out and... Um, because I know, like for a lot of farmers, it's their whole to to change something so significant in their system, their whole livelihood rides on it. Whereas we do have a lot more flexibility in our system and the way, and um, because obviously we do have other jobs and things, um, so we do we have the, the privilege to be um, more flexible and um, yeah take more risks. That I yeah. think is a lot. Yeah. It's for it's it's. It's scary if your if your whole livelihood depends on it and it's not the way you've always done things. Mm. 
it's not the way your dad did it or your grandfather did it or whatever. I think that's the big barrier to a lot of to a lot of farmers. You know, they're in so much. You know, the margins are so fine. Yeah. And everything is so expensive that you know to take a gamble and do something that is you know somewhat so alien it's too much of a risk yeah um, and that's what we our weekends are very busy but because we have both got other jobs um it allows us to be a bit more flexible and, and to try things at other times that a lot of farmers you know some people aren't able to take that risk yeah and yeah that's such an important point and i think you know the people that you're seeing regenerative farming or you know like i sort of just see it like on my instagram really it's people that are either new entrants and are sort of starting small may have second jobs um and i think that's in one way that's sort of keys in it because there's not you don't have that financial risk from your day-to-day farming practices isn't it so it's people yeah it seems to be people coming into the industry who are who are trying it more than maybe the people who have been in it. Although I did speak to say Charlie um, a few weeks ago and they've sort of started with three fields. So they're starting their journey small just to say like, okay, so it can work and then like look at changing, but you know, they're on a probably a, I don't know, five year plan to do that, isn't it? So because they have the... I think as well, um, because we're only just going into it, we have the luxury of choosing where we get our information from. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I, in, in a, in a conventional farm, I know like farm at home and things, all of the information that seems to be on garden farmers are very readily available to them is from salesmen and thing like things like that. Whereas we're not affected by that because we're really by we're, we're, we're too small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that's very true, isn't it? So the person coming on the yard, you you know, it, it's often, you know, that everyone's selling something, so their information is correct, isn't it? Or, you know, they're going to yeah. push that, say, for you, where you're... Um, so how much, like, how much land actually are you farming at the moment? Uh, probably 30, for, well... Roughly 40 acres. Okay, um, between that's 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 the cattle and the and the pig yeah right um so but you know the beauty of that is you know and the beauty of our regenerative system not just ours and regenerative agriculture as a whole it is very scalable and it is also very profitable you know at the end of the day all the environmental benefits that it does bring are well and good but if the farmer can't make any money doing it then there's no it's, it's impossible but you know, I can say that the method of agriculture so far that we're implementing is extremely profitable because really all you have to do, apart from, you know, the first year, I suppose, any business, is just the electric fencing. Um, yeah. I love electric fencing. That's one thing I do spend money on. But apart from that, uh, some water pipe and then you're, you're really good to go yeah yeah no i again like the guys i've been talking to uh about their rotational grazing they get very excited by electric fence and yeah. all it can do yeah, it's, it, is, it was one of the best inventions of our time and I, I firmly believe that yeah without it we couldn't do it you know without it we you know we couldn't do what we're doing without it it keeps pigs in it keeps all our our poultry in cattle and it's soon to be it'll get its run for its money now we're, we're, we're introducing sheep in the next few weeks into, uh, the, into the mix to do some multi-species grazing so 
Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, are you uh, with your stock? So are the stock all moving around into the different fields? So, you know, the pigs, do the cows graze and the pigs graze it? And does everyone move around like the, the farm? Not as yet. The pigs are in a separate area away altogether. The, the cows are, are, are too far. There's too much distance between them to do that. Okay. That will be in an ideal world, yes. The only issue with the pigs is, for some reason, it all depends on what's, what roots they have. Because some paddocks they're in, they just graze it very lightly. And other times they just go to town uh-huh. and they make an awful mess. So you have to be very careful and manage pigs very tightly to make sure they don't damage the paddock too much. Yeah. And even if they do dig a bit, we always oversee them anyway, so we try and keep bare soil to an absolute minimum. Um, but the cattle are followed by the, the poultry. Um, we're introducing uh, pastured, um, pastured broiler hens, so for meat chickens, and we also have uh, ducks uh, for eggs and chickens for eggs and turkeys as well so we have that massive um, bird impact uh, normally we try to run those four days after the cattle to give the flies a chance to lay the eggs in the, the manure piles and for those eggs to develop into larvae and then that's very high protein feed for the for the chickens so interesting <laughs> it's just like ah yeah. um so What's the benefit of the poultry coming after the cows? Is it just so they get that larvae or is it then... They get that larvae, they spray out the, the cattle manure and their manure as well is very, very, very beneficial for the land. But the, all, the other thing is you have, you know, the microbes from the cow's stomach, microbes from the sheep's stomach, microbes from the turkeys and the chickens and the ducks, all those different kind of bacteria coming together to, to boost the microbe kind of population uh, of the soil and just every kind of different species you can mix into the into the fold just adds more horsepower to your regenerative engine yeah oh, it, oh i love it it's so interesting and just yeah i think it is. it's yeah fascinating because there's so <laughs> much like yeah just those little details you know just I wouldn't have thought of that but just hearing you it just sort of it makes so much sense and that's where yeah. I think with regenerative um, farming it just makes yeah. so much sense doesn't it for, for somebody you know starting out who just really wants to farm kind of like myself who wouldn't have you know access to massive amounts of land because of the family farm is actually still going so we have to work with you know what we have we can uh, stack enterprises so we can run you know X number of cows uh, and then run sheep run our sheep with them you know and then our poultry behind that without impacting the number of cows you can run so we yeah. can effectively be all these enterprises stack on top of each other without you know de- uh, you know limiting the amount of regrowth for the next pass of, of, of livestock yeah because like if i would think of say poultry on a farm it would be usually in some and pigs also in some like shitty paddock that they've mm. churned up but because you're like moving them every day yeah it's not getting maybe the pigs are like we said on the roots but it's not getting to that sort of sh- stage of yeah. shitty paddock is it it's sort of know, just the, keeping the, the, their system rolling exactly yeah you know every all the experts say the chickens don't like to be moved every day but you know ours don't really complain that much about it. <laughs> they're all like running yeah. after like to go to the new paddock i suppose they get yeah, used to it don't they Exactly, yeah, straight to the to the fresh manure piles, you know, 
they know yeah, there's some good stuff. Up. Yeah. Yeah, they know there's some good stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh, Susan, you sort of talked about the interaction with your MSc, with the animal and human interaction. So can you just give me a bit more about that? What sort of things, we, you know, you said we take stuff for granted um, at the start, but what sort of things, like how can we, what is, how is regenerative farming bringing in that human-animal interaction and what's the benefit? Um, well, I think mainly, have, especially having the, the pigs outdoors and um, knowing a little bit about how um, conventional, conventional farming um, raises pigs and the breeding in pigs and um, and how they're treated indoors and stuff just breaks my heart. <laughs> um, and um, so, and like seeing the little characters outside and seeing how they run around and, um, you know, yeah, but that that interaction between you and the pigs or you and the, the cattle, you know, they know exactly what you're what you're coming to do every day, and they, they ha- you do ha- you do form it's a, it's a, it's a, it's more like a purpose like uh, you have a real purpose of those animals depend on you and it gives you a real sense of achievement and you know just and it's every day as well you get that that feedback of how important it is that you, you've got this really important role um, and purpose and being able to give the pigs um, a, a life outdoors and um, letting them root around them and you know they must they get they get so many different nutrients and minerals from the ground and the sun from you know the vitamin D from the sun like pigs absorb that into into their fat and things that comes through in their meat and and then it's given us the better better nutrients in our meat and um, so just the whole cycle of how if you have this positive interaction with your animals and you look after them and um, you know treat them with the respect that they should be treated with them in turn they will treat you with you know really high quality nutrition and it's just like a full circle um so yeah and you know we don't we don't like to um obviously put down conventional farming because we've both been brought up on farms like that and it's people's livelihoods and it's all that they know and sometimes they sell their information that we have it might not be as accessible to them and you know it's a generational thing as well but you know the way that Pigs, especially, um, are treated mm. indoor. Um, is really, really sad. Um, yeah. Especially when you know how intelligent they are, um, and um, how and how much of a fantastic life they can have outside if managed properly. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's a big um, a big thing for us, especially with the pigs. I think we're very lucky, especially in Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, that our our beef and our, our beef farmers are still quite traditional in that it's lots of grass fed, lots of you know, they are tend to be outdoors and things. So that that doesn't really have doesn't really affect it so much, but our our, our pigs are really just so different. And um, the meat is so different, the mm. like the, the, the we use heritage breeds as well. So I was gonna say um, what breeds do you have? Um our we have Used uh, Berkshire Blacks, what they're called. Just Berkshire. Yeah. Berkshires, um, and um, at the minute we have some Middle Whites. All right. Uh, we're expecting some Berkshire Piglets in the next. Couple like, days. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's our it, first. I was gonna say, is this your first batch? Yeah, so very excited about that. Um, and we actually we have some Magleaks of Pigs, which actually are Siberian, aren't they? 
Oh, the woolly ones. Oh, wow. Yeah, so their characters difficult. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think I, I've only seen a picture of them and they, like, yeah, they look like they could be difficult. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that's that's the, the breed that we've sort of experimented with so far. Um, but yeah, Berkshire's probably our main focus. Yeah, Berkshire. The, the meat, the meat from the Berkshires is just so phenomenal, and um, a lot of the you know the chefs and things locally have picked up on that, which is really nice for us. And it's been so lovely. Um, you know, starting to sell our produce direct to consumers as well, and the interactions you get with consumers, and lots and lots of returning customers. Oh, fantastic! Um, yeah, it's really, really nice, and really fantastic feedback, and it just makes it all kind of worthwhile because we know that we're putting our our soul into this, but to have somebody sort of give you that reassurance that it is a good thing, then it's nice. And how's the um? the feedback i mean have you noticed that obviously you're you know you're eating your own produce there's that it's like certainly with pork you would really notice i think the difference between say supermarket bacon or pork compared to you know yours it's a it's a different it's a different meat yeah mm. you can't you can't even really compare it yeah if you can spot it without it's in the packet you know the, the meat we produce is almost the color of beef you oh know, wow dark red and really nicely marbled, um, you know, compared to the, the more paler mm. pink, paler pork you would get in, in conventional supermarkets. And even whenever you're cooking it, like the fat the renders fat is so nice. Like, yeah. Not just the nasty white stuff that goes yeah, well, There's none of that white stuff comes off. No, it's the, and the bacon, the bacon uh, it's just so good. It's so good. And what about... <laughs> oh, no, it goes very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, what beef animals have you got then? What breed we of have a, we have uh, Angus crosses, um, stabilizer heifers, and we have purebred beef masters. Oh, what's the beef the, master then? It's actually a breed that I produced from uh, America. Oh, okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're the first beef master breeders. Um, we were the second in Europe. The, the first ones to get out in Italy. We're the second in Europe, first in the UK and Ireland. Um, so that's my other business, ST Beef Masters. We introduced that breed and we're marketing um, embryos and semen in the UK and Ireland. Oh, okay. Basically, yeah, it's, it's the same kind of idea, you know, it's a composite breed. Uh, it's a quarter Shorthorn, quarter Hereford, half Brahman, um, but they've been a purebred for you know, nearly 100 years. Um, the whole idea is uh, efficiency. Um, based on the six essentials, really efficiency, uh, confirmation, docility, um, mothering ability, and so on. But the idea is a profitable animal that um, doesn't give you really any problems. Um, don't really care what it looks like as long as it really does well and makes money at the end of the day. And that's kind of an efficient breed of is what we're after. And what sort of size is that? What you know, is it like a six fifty animal or is it bigger? No, no, no. White. Uh, They'd be, uh, I would say, a mature beef master cow. That will, to be fair, there's quite a range, but we're at our farm. We like to, we're trying to focus on a cow in around 
600 kilos, 650 kilos max. We want to find a small frame cow. Yeah. We want to find graze uh, as long into the winter as possible. So we need those lighter frame animals that wean a calf at a higher percentage of her of her body weight. Um, we don't feed grain of any description. Okay. Um, so what? Onto the cows. We, onto the cows. Yeah, no. sorry. The pigs get grain. The cows don't get any any grain. They get uh, a seaweed based mineral, and um, they're just the the rotational grazing, the the mig grazing. Um, and so far, I'm, I am thrilled with the with the results. Fantastic. And like the results, what the calf, the meat, or just everything? Yeah, the the, the you know going by the 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 look of the. The heifers, you know, their rumens are all nice and full. They've got those, uh, they're, they're really slicked off, nice oily oily hair coats. Um, they're all cycling really well, so the bull was turned in a little bit later than I would have liked, but we're going to try and have calves on the ground um, towards the end of May. And hopefully that way it'll be nice and warm, there'll be good, strong grass, good quality grass for good quality colostrum. Um, so we're we're uh, we're taking up quite well. We've no we've no, we no beef yet, and um, it's going to be a while, but okay. It's be worth it yeah, excellent. They're nice and quiet as well. They're so yeah. docile. Docility because we're in with them every single day. They're very they're very quiet. And, and then moving them, isn't it, and things as well. Yeah. So where have you? Um, you know, obviously you mentioned a couple of people that you've read their books, but where else are you learning from? YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, YouTube is is you know one of the most valuable resources that I could recommend you know to anybody. There are lots of books, and YouTube is a really good place to start. There's nothing really to substitute reading the book or listening to the audio book. Yeah. Um, but YouTube, you know, Dr. Alan Williams is a great one. Uh, Gabe Brown was kind of where it all started for me. He's written a great book, uh, Dirt to Soil. Recommend it to anybody wanting to get into this whole thing. All these are available on Audible, which is the way I can read oh, them. Um, you know, Nicole Masters, uh, her book, For the Love of Soil, I've read it maybe 10 times. It is amazing. Um, just. Charlie? Charlie, uh, no, Charlie Arnott's podcast. Yeah, he is a, a podcast as well. Oh, who was that? Charlie who? Charlie Arnott. Australian guy, um, and there's another one, the Working Cows podcast. This this space is huge. Oh, you I know. know. It's it's a, it's a massive, you know, you know, layers upon layers. But you know, the kind of annoying thing about it is, the more you learn, and the more you know about it, the more you know how little you know. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, we know so little about what goes on under our feet that, you know, it, it's unbelievable. There's, there's, you know, I can't remember what, there's a mushroom that will break down plastic. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this, yeah. And I can't remember its name, but it's in Nicole Masters book. Yeah. She is, she's, she's, you know, that's only a very small amount of people that I would listen to, but, you know, they're all um, instrumental and what we're trying to accomplish over here. Yeah. From my perspective, I really, I'm, I'm much more focused on like the health and lifestyle um, side of it. So um, Diana Rogers is the, the she wrote The Separate Cow. Mm. Um, it's a fantastic book and she does a fantastic um, 
podcast, the, the Sustainable Dish, um, and it's all like linked to diet and well-being and um, all that kind of thing, which is more my side of things. But she is fantastic as well. And uh, another guy who you have YouTube is a guy called uh, Ray Archuleta. He's fantastic. He's very his YouTube videos are great. I could go on. I, I was going to say we just talk about podcasts and YouTubes yeah. and things. I, I mean, said, you know, there's no excuse in my opinion, you know, to not know the the information's there. Um, it's a very it's it's a hugely expanding, growing space. So it's just a matter of taking the time and, and, and listening to it. And you no reason you couldn't stick it on in the tractor. Yeah. Well, well I um. I do gardening a few days a week and I just put the podcast on and I'm just sort of walking around or not walking working around the garden and just like listening to some amazing stuff I haven't listened to these things I've been like on history sort of things Mm -hmm. and various others so from oh Victorians to speeches to all sorts of things and it's just fascinating the amount of information and how much I don't know and how much I am say I've been listening to one it's about historic speeches and I'm so inspired by some of these humans but then also and then also um devastated as well by humans so like yeah. in one like minute you're so inspired the next I'm devastated by just the cruelty and the things and and just like we keep having the same conversation so um so it was just flicking back to like um just on instagram tonight there's lots of um you know about these fires in california and it's people calling out for we must have you know must change and da 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 and it's like we've been having this conversation about we must change climate change for ever and we're not making the changes and it's so what you're doing is is such an important conversation or you know you're actually doing it because that's where the change will come won't it you know your little patch of exactly, Northern yeah, Ireland. Yeah. You need to keep your voice. You need to keep speaking out about what you're doing and what it is, because all of these other, um, like big big companies that are controlling lots of things, the pharmaceutical companies and the media and everything, they're a lot louder. And um, I think it's it's hard whenever we are the minority, but we need to uh, keep talking about it. No, definitely, and I think the more the small people that do you know that just has that little ripple doesn't it um so like one of the things i was listening today it's like basically like the butterfly effect mm-hmm. uh, isn't it so you know yeah. something didn't happen this happened instead and like the ripples of that and and i suppose if there's all these you know the smaller people are like slowly like rippling their butterfly feathers it will eventually work its way up yeah. Oh yeah, I do think there's a lot of people that do know about it, and it's just you know, um, the 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 silent majority. I think. Yeah. I I've kind of moved as far away from social media as I can possibly get. I don't have time for that negativity in my life. I'm happy enough looking at my dumb beetles. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, so you know, and what I find once I turn that off, you just kind of forget about that whole negative mm. world, and everything's fine. You know. Well, yeah, no, that's what I did in March. I turned off certainly Facebook and my life was yeah. really happy. I was just like yeah. carried on, got on with life and... Uh, you're, not, you're not missing a thing. No, no. Maybe you should do a little uh, YouTube videos of your dung beetles, though. 
big hit. That's, that's that's coming up where we're my sister, she's the social media expert, so we're we're in the middle of getting a bank of videos together to try and launch a YouTube channel very soon. Fantastic. Gonna do slow mo, time lapse, dung beetles. Yeah. <laughs> Dave. They are fascinating pictures. I was just saying though, because it's like uh, I think David Aspenbrunny did like one of his, wasn't it, the life of insects or life yeah. of small things, and just seeing, yeah, they're you know like decimating a pile of muck and. They were worshipped in ancient Egypt as gods. Were they? Yeah. Wow. Just because of their vital role in you know restoring in 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 growing our our food. Yeah. You know, it's there. I can't remember the exact phrasing of it but there was sanskrit text from 30,000 bc uh basically denoting the importance of the soil and once the soil goes then civilization follows it yeah i remember on a farm walk i did organized years ago the daughter um was she caroline spencer i think she's called her dad worked at stanford university anyway and she was just like people aren't looking at the soils and these universities mm. and research places at that point that's like oh like maybe nine years ago um so still relatively but she's like no one's researching the soils no one's putting the importance on the soil and she's like it's the soil that's the and what's in the soil is the most important thing so i, I just yeah, I remember a conversation we had and she was getting very angry that no one would research it it's just sort of yeah. it's always the research about what's growing out of it as opposed to what is inside it yeah and how to best kind of care for it but yeah i can't remember who it was but it was one of the guys that i was telling you about had a fantastic quote and it's what, what i try and do when i'm farming you know it's uh let mother nature do all of the thinking and most of the work <laughs> Yeah, because she kind of has it kind of right, doesn't she? I mean, yeah, she's been doing it for millions of years, and uh, exactly, yeah. So we just stop forcing chemicals down, down her throat, and let her recover from that, and it's it's it truly is amazing to see the results. But also, how quick it is! Like yours, yeah. isn't it? Like how long? How quick was it for you to see? You know, say the dung beetles returning, or you know, just seeing that thing. Yeah. So the the first pass. Uh, I can't remember what date it was, but it, will, it would have been end of April, beginning of May, kind of in that kind of time. Um, and that was, we just took over this lease and we were, we were working on the farm and, um, you know, it was a continuous grazing situation, just over grazing, you know, nothing. It was, there was no, obviously, malice, just this the way things are done. Um, but the soil was compacted and very clay and kind of very lifeless. Um, but introducing the high stock densities, putting a lot of, you know, dung and urine on a small area and moving them very rapidly and putting loads of carbon, tromping the carbon onto the ground. Um, the second rotation on that field, uh, roughly 90 days later, where the vetches were up, the clovers were flowering, the, the, you know, what will happen is when a grass plant is in an area where it's not particularly healthy, um, it'll put out very few leaves and go straight to seed. You know, the second rotation, there are maybe two or three leaves on the grass plants, and there were nice, bright, big, dark green leaves. Uh, and then the dung beetles were kind of the second day on the paddock. You seen the wee holes? Yeah. And you, if you stood over them long enough, you seen them coming out. And then <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love there's, it so there's, much. There's, there's a house 
there's a house uh, kind of at the top of one of the fields that I would graze, and I am confident that the people don't think I'm insane. I was standing over the dung pile with my phone, trying to video the dung beetles moving along. They're like, there he is again! Yeah, this crazy person took photographs of it's Oh, I, I just love it so much. You're so passionate about it. It's, yeah. oh, it's just so amazing. I really love it. Um, what do your parents think? You know, like you said, they're traditional farmers. Are you sort of swaying them yet? Are they? <laughs> I'll take that as no. Um, no, it's difficult. I mean, they're they're definitely open to the idea. They yeah. they like to listen to our stories and our you know talking about things, but that's just um, it's just slow slow process um, there's, there's no i suppose that's sure it's hard to, to um it's hard to find a reason for them to change mm. if you know what i mean you know what they're doing you know in their mind is working yeah what's the point you know they don't that uh, and uh, um, for me personally it, it, um i don't know how i would even you know, dad, dad would be very open to it and, and he can see the results, but, you know, he hasn't done any of the foundational reading or YouTubing that I've done, so he doesn't, he doesn't see those dung beetles and notice that they weren't there before we started this. Yeah. So they are there now, if that makes sense. So, um, he hasn't caught the soil bug yet, but I'll, I'll give him time he will. Yeah, because I, I do, um, I do think, like, with anything it just becomes normal isn't it so so like you sort of will see a picture of um oh just before we did this i was watching i don't know what i was watching but they had the great is it the great bastard you know the big bird that's on the salisbury plains that was reintroduced it um they reintroduced birds back from russia but it's like you know once they were you know in huge numbers and we made them extinct in the uk but it just sort of like happens you're like oh there aren't any left today because we've like killed them all eaten them all or you sort of think oh you know you know you talk to like grandparents like oh we used to see like thousands of swallows and now this year there's not been that many certainly in warwickshire and it's just like oh i wonder where they are and it just becomes that normal that things have declined and it's just like oh there's not as many now gosh i can't remember when i last saw a Mm-hmm. hair on this you know isn't it and it yeah. just becomes the normal and then it's not until like say you and your obsession with your dung beetles it's like look they're back it's like yeah. oh i hadn't noticed they'd gone i just just they yeah. weren't here and you just don't notice then do you yeah. and even like i would hear like dad saying oh that field's just really wet it's just it's yeah. just really wet and then you're thinking it's on a hill why is it so wet <laughs> why wrong with it there must be something wrong there but it's just always been wet so it's just you know and and the way that they have um tried to uh, rectify it is just not not being not not worked yeah it's the, you know you see rushes growing on a, on a high hillside and you know people say that's a wet part of the field but it's probably just because poor infiltration due to soil compaction due to overgrazing you know where people have come in there and tried to you know drain the field using heavy machinery which they may have drained that area but the dig driving from that over the, to, to that area has compacted the other soil so 
Oh my god, it's so true. I'm just thinking of the hill. Uh, we've got like upland on um, the family farm, and there's loads of rushes. Yeah. And it's just like, why would yeah, like you say, why would there be rushes? It's great because then there is the indication there is water, so some of it there is a natural stream, but. Yeah, it's just that, and even just the overgrazing, because I think I would personally think of compaction is caused by machinery passing over the field. Mm-hmm. Not that it's been overgrazed or, you know, had too much stock on it. Yeah, overgrazing, uh, compaction can be caused by loads of things. Uh, poor, not enough calcium in the ground, uh, poor calcium, um, uh, functional calcium, um, it's a lot to do with the, with the pore spaces. Plowing causes compaction. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the closing the pore spaces that the worms and all the various weed kind of soil microbes would have created to let the soil breathe, um, that all has a very detrimental effect on the soil structure and causes it to fall in nature on, on top of itself. Yeah. And and swallows it, you know. The rushes can, rushes can bring oxygen from the plant down to the roots they can pump oxygen that's why they can grow quite happily uh, roots can grow happily on you know waterlogged and tightly compacted soils because yeah they've yeah oh my gosh i just find it so fascinating i, I literally could just talk to you could you just write the book and then we can just like listen or uh, or do your own podcast do your own podcast yeah, but that's all they're doing as well, basically. You know, we just, like, everyone just regurgitates something and just adds their own spin or their own passion to it, don't they? Yeah. I hope everything I've said is correct. But I'm sure well, it sounds good to me, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you your vision is to supply, like, nutrient-dense food directly to the consumer, so you've started that journey already. Yep. And... Um, so what what's like the vision of how are you looking to upscale that? What's your you know what's your next step? How's what's the plan? Um, I I really want to uh, empower the consumer and inform the consumer and you know and inform them of that they have that with their with their purse they have the most power um, over you know anything so. You know, and if we are able to produce this real high quality nutrient dense food that from what we've seen so far is very different from what they are buying commercially, then um, and give them a really good reason and let them understand why we're doing what we're doing and why it's, uh, you know, um, more beneficial to the environment and to their health. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of drive. I would like, and having that relationship with the farmer, um, getting to know your farmer. Know your farmer. Know your farmer, farmer. yeah. Um, You know, and I think um, in Northern Ireland and in our little rural bubble, lots of people know farmers, but it's getting to be the case in towns and cities where people just don't know farmers and they don't know what we do and how difficult it is, but how much we care as well. Yeah. And farmers get an awful lot of bad rap on the media and sorts of things and um, they don't realise that we care an awful lot and if we didn't there wouldn't be any farm um, or any food. That's the ironic thing isn't there? Yeah so um, yeah empowering the consumer, letting them know the farmer. um, Our goal is to have a 
really good website able to supply the consumer on a like a subscription basis so your your protein meat uh, shop is taken care of once a month once a week whatever way you want to do it subscribe on our website we'll send you out whatever you want um, it'll all be obviously uh, under our CV farms produced here with our never ever promise you know none of the meat that you'll buy will ever have received any kind of antibiotics no growth promoters anything like that uh, all our beef is grain free uh, to the highest welfare standards possible anywhere in the world um, and it'll be the probably the best tasting meat you've ever had and just complete transparency yeah anybody's welcome to come out and see the farm at any point just give us a call we'll happily if we are not terribly busy we'll take you around and show you how it was done yeah it's really you know it's a big open door policy and i think that's key isn't it because people are questioning you know their food and things so and i think that's where the last you know obviously covid situation but i think there's been a huge appreciation for local food and that you know and you know go being able to go to a farm shop or local you know get the the meat boxes or what have you i think because prior to that we obviously had like the real vegan anti-farming it's sort of an i've not seen any of that since march <laughs> so yeah. but seeing loads more you know farmers sort of um showing us what they're doing more praise for the meat boxes or the local farm shop so i think there has been that change so and i think it's so important isn't it yeah, yeah. really hope so yeah it's just you know all farmers 99.9 percent .9 of farmers are waking up every day doing their absolute best to produce the best food they can for the consumer you know and like everything else one or two bad apples gives everybody a bad name and that's those guys are not a representation of no. what anybody's trying to do even though that m most farmers aren't practicing regenerative practices you know it doesn't mean to say that they're not doing the best job that they can do um but you know they don't deserve that the kind of criticism that they were getting for a long time from the from the kind of biased media outlets especially yeah yeah that vegan agenda no i think there's been a real well, there's been a turnaround, which I, I'm really pleased about. So one of my questions is, so what does what does farming actually mean to you? So Susan, what does it mean to you? <laughs> uh, it's a way of life. It's not a job. It's not a, It's not even a hobby. It's not a, It's just a way of life. And the connection to animals and nature and having that purpose, um, that's, that's what it is to me. It's the real purpose and having a role um, in something that, um, something that really means a lot um, you know, producing food for population is absolutely vital um, and I feel great responsibility but it really empowered that we have access to so much amazing information and we can constantly improve and it's important to constantly question why we're doing what we're doing and is there anything else we can do, be doing better um, but yeah farming is just a way of life and what about you Shay? Uh, I absolutely love it. I love it. Um, I spent five years in the classroom, you know, completing my law degree and, you know, with the full intention to practice and it's just that sitting in the library looking out at the, at the cows in the field, it's just kind of, it's cemented in my head that I'll finish this degree, 
and then I'm going to try my best to get back into agriculture as much as I can. I just, it's, it's a part of me. Put it that way too. It's, it's hard to describe. Mm. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah, I think once it's there, isn't it? And that's, uh... yeah, it is. It's a, it's a bug. <laughs> like a dung beetle but it's like yeah. a one those. <laughs> you're gonna have to well you should get that on some of your logos i think i think that has yeah. to make an appearance somewhere along the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i have really really enjoyed talking to you both i mean oh just the passion you have for it is just um yeah it's just so inspiring and just um being able to see you know obviously we'd like i can see you on the screen and what have you but yeah just that you know you, you're so alight with it you know it's sort yeah, of well, well yeah well i did enjoy my visit to northern ireland i've always wanted to go back so yeah i'd love to see it and then um yeah so i wish you the very very best of luck with that i think it's absolutely amazing so yeah thank you very much for your time tonight thank you for the opportunity thank you. to yeah. chat about it Excellent. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I have so much love for regenerative agriculture. It just seems so simple when you're shown and learn more about it. And it just makes sense. It was the way that we were doing things until basically the Second World War. And then it changed to this big industrial and we can and we can change and we can go back to the way we were before, which is just so much better for the environment and also for ourselves. Nature is our friend. She's not our foe and we need to start working with her and not against her. She has everything sorted out. The whole ecosystem, habitats, um, biodynamics. She's got it right and basically we have fucked it up. But it's up to us now to just return it because we can. We've just some simple knowledge you can really start making that difference nature is really quick to recover only if we let her and she does it with such ease and grace and we have such a lot to learn from her so go forth and start seeing how you can make changes others these will bring really big results not only for your business but to the environment but also to your soul so take care i wish you well and uh, go forth.